Welcome to the Peds NP, Pearls of Pediatric Evidence-Based Practice. I'm Becky Carson, Clinical Assistant Professor at Catholic University. And true confession, when I was in high school, I hated junior English. Every day, my best friend and I would ask to go to the bathroom and walk around the halls for at least 20 minutes. We visited our friends in the yearbook class, we hung out with our track coach down the hall, and we planned prom with our student government advisor. Yes, I agree, English is very, very important. But the books were so boring and written by dead white guys. And I've always been a nonfiction bookworm myself. Plus, my older brother had passed down these wonderful yellow and black striped booklets called Cliff's Notes that I could use to socialize now and catch up more quickly on the literature later. Turns out he was onto something. I hope you'll join us today as we discuss how to consolidate and synthesize a patient encounter in a summary statement. Wouldn't it be great if a parent walked in the room and said, this is Billy. He's a two-year-old male with past medical history of atopic dermatitis who presents with his first episode of wheezing in the context of a concurrent URI. It would be awesome, but instead, what we usually get is a parent who is all over the place. Well, his sister used to breathe all funny when she slept, and come to find out, she was allergic to this little bunny rabbit stuffed animal that his grandma gave him, kept in the attic for two decades, saving it for all her grandbabies and whatnot. Oh, 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 you want to know about Billy? Well, he don't like stuffed animals. He's more of a blanket man. Oh, oh, the noisy breathing. Yeah, it sounds like a whistle, and he's using his rib muscles to breathe. That's a little bit more accurate to the reality of hurting cats when you're trying to take a history from someone who doesn't know how to give a history. So you learn the skill of interviewing and you steer the conversation towards the direction of the chief complaint and the surrounding history of present illness, making sure to cover your pertinent positives and negatives, the past medical history, medications and allergies, family history and social history where necessary, You know I love a social history. So you have the full picture then of what's going on with the patient. But that takes time. So the summary statement is useful in both your clinical notes or when presenting to a preceptor or colleague as a way to thoughtfully organize that bountiful information from the subjective history with the physical exam and lab results and then synthesize it concisely to convey both the presentation and your assessment of the patient. Doing this exercise will help you prioritize the most salient issues from the patient's history and presentation. My students have often heard me refer to this as a one-liner, which means that you're succinctly consolidating the information into a one or two sentence phrase that commands attention by giving only the most essential details before going on to give the remainder of the oral or written assessment and plan. So, Why do you need to know how to write a summary statement? Remember how I said that the clinical note should read like a book? The title is the chief complaint, the patient is the author, chapter one is the HPI, chapter two is the review of systems, and so on. Where then chapter one informs chapter two, and the book is meant to be read cover to cover. 
Then remember when I said I skipped class every day because of how boring it was to read those books? Well, think of the summary statement as the cliff's notes of your clinical note or oral presentation. Or maybe it's the inside jacket, except this quippy review actually gives away the ending. And the reality is that more often than not, because we are very busy providers seeing dozens of patients every day, we don't have time to read a novel every time we read a patient's chart. So we read the summary statement to get the goods on what's going on with our patients. I don't think I really mastered this skill until I was in practice for several years because my first job used paper charting. So in the section with a lot of open space titled assessment, I would just write in big letters my diagnosis. Just giant handwriting of acute gastroenteritis. And then I went to another emergency department at a teaching hospital with really skilled residents whose charts I would review before seeing a patient. And I learned that I could just scroll to the medical decision-making section and read an expertly composed summary statement and skip all the rest of the note, unless I wanted to read more details about the presentation. Fast forward to my current practice. Our EMR actually puts the assessment section at the top of the record when you're reviewing it. Right after the patient name and demographics, you get the assessment and plan section, followed by the discharge education and anticipatory guidance. Because the makers of this EMR knew that we providers are going to read this part first anyway, so why not just save you the time of scrolling and put it right at the top? And if you're lucky enough to work in a place where you get continuity of care with your own patients, you're telling your future self where you are in that longitudinal spectrum of health promotion or disease management based on the specific issues addressed in that encounter. When you develop a summary statement, there's a formula to help you start, and that's age. Remember in PEDS, the age is the first piece of information that guides our thinking. Gender past medical history if it's pertinent. Otherwise, we usually say previously healthy or no significant past medical history. And the chief complaint or presenting symptoms, a time frame, and in what context. I also like to put my general impression gestalt here so that we know sick or well right from the beginning. So something like this is an ill-appearing six-month-old female with history of grade two vesicoureteral reflux presenting with fever times two days with no other symptoms. That formula consolidates the information and helps the listener or reader immediately start creating the differential in their head. I'm not going to discuss how to form a differential diagnosis today because that's such a lengthy topic in and of itself. And another asterisk here, you should do a bit more homework on how to write a good summary statement for a newborn visit, because there's a variety of information that's vital to relay that's unique to this patient population. But maybe that's a topic for another episode. An ideal summary statement takes all of the pertinent history and none of the waste, physical exam and diagnostic workup, and presents the findings using transformative language that expresses the critical thinking of medical decision-making in a way that communicates your clinical judgment and the extent to which this is the most likely diagnosis. Here's an example. Becky is a well-appearing four-year-old girl with no significant past medical history who presents with acute right leg pain, refusal to walk, 
low-grade fever in the setting of a URI a couple of days ago, and a recent minor fall. Her physical exam is normal with the exception of limited internal rotation of the right hip. Let's break this down a bit more. One of the biggest problems I see is that some students have trouble using transformative language, so their summary statement ends up being as long as the HPI because it repeats everything, just in a different section of the note. So what is transformative language? Essentially, it means you're translating the patient's words, a constellation of symptoms, or physical exam findings, into concise medical terminology that demonstrates your assessment of the situation. So instead of commenting on how a patient is in the 50th percentile for height and weight with a BMI that's in the 40th percentile along the same curve over time, you could just say normal growth. You're not using an excess of descriptors because that's a waste of space and we don't have time for that. So let's see another bad example and then correct it. 18-month-old female presents with fever to 102.5 and a 90-second episode of loss of consciousness and generalized shaking with eyes rolled back in the head, followed by a period of sleepiness that is now resolved. <sighs> no, that is too long and not transformative. Try again and take those words that you used in the HPI to tell us now what you know is going on. 18-month-old presents with simple febrile seizure. Done. Your summary statement has now informed the listener or reader of what they should expect in the remainder of the assessment and plan. Be confident in your phrasing and commit to a diagnosis and plan as you continue in your statement. But you can still eloquently express a certain degree of doubt with an open-ended differential diagnosis using your rationale. If there are other items on the differential, I like to comment on each one to show that I've considered it. It might be that your differential is broad because you're waiting on diagnostic studies to return, or because it's too early in the illness to determine the diagnosis. Who's seen a patient present with a fever for an hour? I have. Either way, this is the section where you justify your rationale, why you think what you think, why you did what you did, the evidence in support of your professional opinion, and what you recommend going forward. In today's litigious healthcare environment, these assessments will often state what a provider ruled out, too, though we don't typically think of the differential diagnosis including something that we are confident is not present. It's not just medical legal liability that encourages us to say, no evidence of systemic infection concerning for sepsis or meningitis, but instead a recognition of the spectrum on which a patient might present and our willing consideration of acute care diagnoses. We know that a child can decompensate quickly, and we might be seeing a patient in a brief 15-minute encounter, so it can be important to acknowledge the degree of uncertainty, the progression of illness, or the snapshot in time when we saw the patient. Another big problem that students often have when writing summary statements or assessments is redundancy, and this may be another symptom of poor transformative language, a desire to be thorough, or thinking that the highest word count gets the best grade. I'm sure my students roll their eyes when they hear me say, be thorough but succinct, because that sounds like an oxymoron. Give the history of the world, be brief. Bang, dinosaurs, humans, computers. 
In all seriousness, your plan is often lumped in with your assessment and should include a concise explanation of each problem or diagnosis being addressed without repeating a lot of unnecessary information from the objective section of the visit. When you've given us your differential diagnosis and justified the hypothesis of your clinical reasoning, the treatment plan is the obvious next step. Let's go back to our previous example and keep writing. Remember, Becky is a well-appearing four-year-old girl with no significant past medical history who presents with acute right leg pain, refusal to walk, low-grade fever in the setting of URI symptoms a couple of days ago, and a recent minor fall. Her physical exam is normal with the exception of limited internal rotation of the right hip. Her workup was unremarkable with normal CBC and inflammatory markers, normal imaging, and she has pending blood culture and Lyme studies. Given that her last fever was over five days ago and she has no leukocytosis, septic joint and osteomyelitis are unlikely, and she can begin symptomatic care for transient synovitis using rice therapy and NSAIDs. The next part is where I often list out any other precautions or instructions I've given to the parents. Along with what? Let's say it together. Specific return criteria that they should watch for. Finish off with your plan for referral or follow-up. You'll give the parents separate education documents, but it's important to chart these items for yourself. Each medical record is going to be slightly different, and some of this may auto-populate for your note. So I certainly don't want you to double chart, inflate your note with superfluous verbiage, or make more work for yourself. But you need to know how to write a prose assessment and plan in paragraph form because I promise you, one day the computers will break and you will have to do it by hand. Summary statements are awesome exercises on consolidating and synthesizing information to then interpret and communicate effectively a patient's presentation, diagnosis, and plan of care. When you use critical thinking skills to formulate your statement, you'll achieve the brevity and clarity that your preceptors and professors want while efficiently and effectively communicating in a way that builds great habits for practice once you're out there on your own taking care of the kids. I'm Becky Carson. Take care.